Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Systrix with Kanda new livestream series. You may recognise me, I'm Jack Chambers-Ward, and my co-host, Mr. Mark Williams-Cook, from the podcast Search with Kanda. And you may also recognise Systrix from being our sponsors on that podcast. And we are now partnering with Systrix to do a brand new livestream series to bring you the latest SEO and PPC news every single month on Systrix's new YouTube channel. So, Mark and I here, we're going to talk about a few different topics. We'll also cover a bit of Q&A at the end of the episode and touch on a few bits of data and things from Systrix along the way as well. Should we get stuck into some data from Systrix? Let's do it. Let's so get... if you do have questions, do pop them into the chat um, and we'll try and answer a couple of them, as Jack said, at the end of the show. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about some trend watch, shall we? Because... I think Trendwatch is fascinating. It always comes up with unique and weird, interesting topics for us to talk about on the podcast and here on the live stream as well. And something I think most people assume is kind of a bunch of rubbish, but is actually a bunch of rubbish, is Blue Monday. And no, I don't mean the song by the band New Order, although it was the 40th anniversary of that yesterday, apparently, which was nice to find out. A little bit of synergy going on, which is quite nice. I'm talking about the day in January, apparently, where everyone is that they're most depressed and most upset. Bad weather, post-Christmas lull, all that kind of stuff. And the data from Trendwatch over at Systrix, written by the fantastic Nicole Scott, one of the members of the data journalism team over at Systrix, tells a tale of growing worries, I think, about Blue Monday. So we've got a bit of data here. Let's flash this up on the screen. You can see the trend here for Blue Monday. And... Seems to have grown a little bit, and we were just discussing this before, weren't we, Mark? Maybe because of kind of the pandemic and stuff, it's kind of grown a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the search volume is, is is huge, to be honest. Pretty crazy, it, yeah. It, it was way more than I expected, but there is that kind of jump in 2020, mm. and that was my kind of first question, like, well, why has it increased so much? That's like an <laughs> almost 20% increase. And <laughs> the first answer I think you had, like everything, was... 2020, it was probably COVID. That, that definitely made that Monday worse. That's, that's that default answer, right? Yeah. I think it's really interesting here. Like we said, looking from left to right here, you can see it's kind of grown over the last few years, got dating back to 2019. And I wonder if this little spike has been driven by interest in New Order, potentially. But I think this is probably mostly focused around this kind of rumoured phenomenon that was apparently started by travel companies and advertising and all that kind of stuff to try and get you to go away and travel and all that kind of stuff and go on holiday and cheer yourself up because it's the most depressing day of the year. At the end of the day, it all comes down to marketing. <laughs> like, like Father Christmas being red, it's all because of marketing. <laughs> the, the, the thing I saw the most actually about uh, Blue Monday, and this is obviously I'm in a bit of a bubble in my Twitter of lots of marketers, was loads of marketers saying, it's not a real thing. It's just a marketing. It's fake. But with that huge search volume, you know, and as you said, this was just, they, they made an equation by looking at average temperature, day since last payday, how dark it is. Yeah, yeah. But how they've made that idea stick, you know, and I think it's pretty rich for a lot of us that work in digital marketing to say, oh, it's made up when, you know, we're getting stories in the news about like <laughs> what a human's going to look like in a hundred years time when they, when they use a computer and there's those weird 3D pictures of kind of the hunched human. Yeah. But, that goes to just show when you capture people's imagination and how you can create that mm. that search that search demand intent as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an interesting kind of 
almost a weird little digital PR case study in a way of, I don't know if you're necessarily getting actually more people to go on holiday. I think we started by Sky Travel a little, a little while ago, sort of 20 years ago or so. But it's definitely driven search intent. And whether that ties into the song or not, I'm not necessarily sure that matters. But yeah, I think it's an interesting little trend to kind of keep an eye on. And if you are keeping an eye out for this kind of stuff, you can, of course, go to sistrix.com slash trends and subscribe to Trendwatch, the monthly newsletter that will deliver 10 brand new trends to your inbox every single month. Coming up next on Trendwatch, the second half of it, we can talk about some stamps. And I thought it was because of our recent change of monarch and how Elizabeth passed away late last year on my birthday, no less. Was it really? It was on my birthday. Interesting. <laughs> I'll always forget that day. <laughs> Remember that day <laughs> because it was on my birthday. And yeah, turns out in the UK, we have a bunch of new stamps. And I had no idea. But apparently, when do stamps expire has massively jumped up in search volume because suddenly stamps have an expiration date. News to me. I can't remember the last time I used the stamp. So, yeah, I was very interested in this. So apparently they have barcodes and stuff now, and it's about more about security and things like that. But this graph is pretty crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, Royal Mail's mentioning anything about security at the moment. <laughs> pretty crazy. So for those, oh, that, the those that don't know, there was a security incident with Royal Mail, which stopped all international deliveries. Yeah. Um, but there have yeah, been, been a lot of hot water recently, have the Royal yes. Mail. <laughs> I, I had no idea stamps were getting kind of coded mm, now yeah. either. And again, if you're looking at this and thinking, okay, yes, obviously, so stamps have barcodes now, they're going to expire. What use is this kind of, um, this data where we can see yeah, this, yeah. This, this big search uh, query increase? And it's actually really the, just the starting point. So I popped that query itself into uh, also asked to get the new questions that are around that topic. I think we've got um, an image here of here it as we well. So yeah. So again, related to when do stamps expire, we've got a whole new bunch of search terms that have appeared because of this. So Trendwatch is also a great way to be aware when a topic is starting to explode because it's not just usually that one search term. There's a whole. It comes with like a little tree with lots of branches of different <laughs> topics to cover. So you know, if you if you're spotting those trends. That's when you can say, okay, well, we need to get on this, start making this content because you get that first mover advantage. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really interesting when we're covering like legality of stuff and even like how old stamps, because previously you could use a stamp from the 1970s. If you use enough of them, it eventually adds up to a modern stamp and it would work. <laughs> but some of these questions are, can you use it from 10 years ago? Does, can you still use old stamps? How do they work first class and second class? Is it all different? If you're not from the UK, this is probably all absolute gibberish to you. But basically, this is running down all of our different stamp types and how they're kind of really shifting and really changing. So I think that's an interesting way of, like you said, being able to use Trendwatch and analyze that data. The analysis has kind of already been done for you by the fantastic people over at Systrix. And then you have that little jumping off point for your content ideas. And like you said, using a tool like Also Asked, you can dive in and find out new questions to answer around those kind of topics. I know one of the other topics was Love Island, but I didn't dare bring that up because <laughs> I know for a fact you don't watch it, Mark. <laughs> but yeah, even then, like I said, Love Island and a bunch of other topics are included in this month's Trend Watch. You can go to sistrix.com slash trends. Like I said, subscribe to the newsletter there and you'll get 10 exclusive trends delivered direct to your inbox. Shall we get stuck into our first topic then, Mark? Yes. So this came from the January 2023 SEO office hours with Google. Um, we'll pop 
pop a link to this, but there was one particular question that really interested me, which someone asked, which is, will disavowing links make my site rank better? <laughs> which is one of my favorite questions because it, it's really polarizing. Um, and you have some, you'll see people claiming, oh, we, we disavowed a bunch of links. You know, we didn't have a penalty and our ranking shot up. Mm. Then you've got other people, uh, usually me, us, <laughs> saying, mm, try not to touch that disavow tool yeah. if, you, if you can. Yeah. But John Mueller kindly gave an answer to this. And I, I think it's just worth exploring because there's lots of bits of information in the detail of how um, he's saying things. We mention this all the time, right? It's getting that first party from the horse's mouth kind of data from Google makes all the difference because there are nuances, there are subtleties in there that are worth exploring and paying attention to that can make all the difference. So I will flash up on the screen here so everybody can see that as well. Yeah, so John's answer to this was, um, I try to evaluate whether your site really created those spammy links. It's common for sites to have random weird links and Google has a lot of practice ignoring those. On the other hand, if you actively built significant spammy links yourself, then yes, cleaning those up would make sense. The disavow tool can help if you can't remove those links at the source. That said, this will not position your site as it was before, but it can help our algorithms to recognize that they can trust your site again, giving you a chance to work up from there. There's no low effort magic trick that makes <laughs> us as well. Yeah, we know that that's, that's Welcome SEO, to SEO, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here's the things I wanted to explore with this. So firstly, there's a distinction here between spammy links you've created versus what Google helpfully defines as weird spammy links. But <laughs> if you look at most backlink profiles, it's actually really obvious what that means. Um, you know, we've just published a new site and already we've picked up what I would call weird spammy links, yeah, which are yeah. just these sites that are completely nonsensical listing links to other sites. Interestingly, if John is saying it's the other type of link that you should worry about maybe ones you've placed yourself or kind of paid for. It's probably the opposite to what a lot of tools are detecting as like toxic or bad links. Yeah. Because they're harder for at least ba more basic tools to spot. But if those links can have an impact, it by definition gives people a chance to potentially do some kind of negative SEO if you bought those kind of links and placed them for a competitor, not necessarily <laughs> that that would be a cost-effective thing to do. Yeah, that's that whole negative SEO discussion, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's how Google's trying to set this up, so it's not a cost-effective good idea to try and do this. So a couple of things, I think, as SEOs come out the back end of this that are helpful, which is, firstly, unless you are in a very specific situation, and I'm talking this is in the fraction of 1% of people would be in this situation, <laughs> unless you've had some kind of manual penalty, generally, I would leave the disavow tool alone because even if you have links that look a little bit off, you know, unless you've been placing them, there's only two options there. Google is either ignoring them, so you're not having like a penalty of having them. Yeah, the, the fact that we get so many spam updates and stuff, Google kind of knows what they're looking for at yeah, this right. point. You would think if you can identify it through a tool, chances are Google can also analyze and find it pretty easily as well. So the fact that you will flag something up on something like Ahrefs or SEMrush or whatever toxic link ana analyzer you have, Google already knows that stuff and they're probably already essentially discrediting that stuff. As you said, Mark, you get all this kind of like site ranking things where it's just a list of URLs and it can be completely random, no particular topic whatsoever, and you'll just get like scraped URLs basically. Cool. 
Who cares? <laughs> I'm sure Google already know about that stuff and discredit that stuff already. So you don't need to waste your time and effort and money going off and disavowing all this stuff when you could spend your time actively doing stuff and benefiting you, your client, your site, whatever it is. I mean, the other thing I have there, if, if Google hasn't identified that link, it's again, by definition, probably going to be giving you some benefit from yep, it. Yeah. So you could actually potentially harm your rankings if you chucked a load of links into disavow. I encountered this with an old client, a previous agency I worked at. Somebody was, their, their, the previous agency they had worked with was hot on the disavow tool. They basically had a like monthly, possibly even bi-monthly, like every couple of weeks checking in and making sure the backlink profile is... I think they used the term pruned, like clear clear out all the crap and like give it a little spring clean and stuff like that. I was like, do we need to do that? I feel like we don't need to do that. I was like, well, you know, just to make sure. I'm like, how about this one? And I pointed out one that was like a totally legit link that had come from one of their link building campaigns that they had completely like mislabeled or accidentally copied the domain, the disavow tool or whatever it was. I'm like, maybe that shouldn't be there. Let's take that out. Somehow we were able to reclaim that link because I think probably they'd only just done it. I guess that's the advantage of them doing it every couple of weeks is <laughs> Google hadn't picked up that they changed it yet. But yeah, I, I've encountered that before where disavowing what seem to be spammy links or perhaps have been mislabeled can actually negatively affect you there and you run the risk of losing legit links for probably not that much benefit. I think the risk is higher than the reward for me, in my opinion. The other, the other thing that Google's previously hinted at that I find really interesting is that they will there's there's a lot of links they struggle to classify mm. because it's very hard for them to tell the intent of well you know is this link paid it looks a little bit like it but we can't be sure <laughs> and they've mentioned before about having a an overall kind of trust in your profile and i think a really good analogy for that is if google will give you the benefit of the doubt for those on the fence links so if you have maybe someone you know that kind of maybe spins a lot of tales, tells some lies, embellishes <laughs> stories. If they tell you something that's hard to believe, you're less likely to believe them, right? The, you're the like, boy okay. who cried wolf kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you know someone's like always been super honest, um, you know, fact-based, and they tell you something that's hard to believe, you're more likely to be like, mm, okay, I, I, I trust you, I believe that. And I think the same can apply with backlink profiles. If you have, you know, a whole bunch of very spammy links that Google can detect, if you then have some on-the-fence links, Google's probably going to say, well, based on your other kind of link footprint, it's, it's probably not worth us counting these as well. Yeah. So I think there is a, there's a, like with all things SEO, there's mm. kind of a, a spectrum of where you might sit on the correct thing to do here. But unless you're getting problems, you know, and you can see there's a very big footprint of someone trying to do something, or you know you have previously done this, generally, I would leave the disavow tool alone. I agree. Yeah, it's it's kind of in my go-to like, oh, hey, you're a professional SEO. What's a quick SEO tip? It's like, stop touching your disavow tool. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anyone has asked me on a, you know, a quick little clip or whatever it is, a little snippet or a comment or whatever, that is a general rule. And I said, I've got firsthand experience of it being a negative thing and, and having negative effects for a client in the past. So I can speak from experience. You're better off probably not touching it and and relying on the pretty frequent spam updates that Google have these days, they kind of are pretty hot on with spam brain and all the recent stuff we've been talking about recently. They're pretty hot on it. And I think we're pretty much covered with a lot of that stuff already. So yeah. Moving on to a featured snippet discussion. Our friend Brody Clark, the fantastic Brody Clark. Hello, Brody, if you are watching or listening to this, 
thank you very much for what you do and highlighting all the basically SERP feature updates and stuff like that. Very, very handy. Essentially, we have featured snippets that have a blue highlight in them. And we were just talking about this before we started recording. They did have a yellow highlight about like 2019-ish, like three or four years ago. Is it that point. long ago? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I looked this up. <laughs> and they've been testing the blue highlight link since September of last year. So there's been kind of on and off kind of things here. But from my experience, this is now pretty much universally rolled out across featured snippets. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I searched for who is Mark Williams Cook? And you get Digital Marketing Director at Canada highlighted in blue there. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> you are the Mark Williams Cook, as we know already. And yeah, I think it's interesting. They've kind of made the text a bit bigger. There used to be an emphasis on bold text as well a lot in featured snippets. How do you feel about the blue compared to the yellow compared to the bold, Mark? Like, How much of this do you care about? In general, I care about featured snippets quite a lot. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> there was obviously when featured snippets became a thing, there was quite a lot of backlash about Google stealing our clicks. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, obviously I can, I understand that argument as content producers, you know, you're, you're paying for this. So it is painful when, um, when, when Google can do this and, you know, you miss out on clicks. I think what we're going to see with the search results now with featured snippets because of things like passage indexing mm. and because of the improvements such as with BERT of the understanding of the search query, they're getting a lot more precise in my opinion. So I, I did a blog post back in 2019 of featured snippets that Google did particularly badly. Yeah. And we talked, we were doing Google searches for things like how many legs does a duck have? <laughs> and Google very confidently comes back and featured snippets saying four legs, of course. And how many legs does a rabbit have? 200 legs. Where <laughs> it, it's obviously, it hasn't quite managed to pass. And you the have 513 correctly. arms at one point or something? 512. 512, yes. sorry. Um, yes, yeah. So I think we're now at a stage where I'm seeing fairly good featured snippets there's obviously always going to be edge cases i don't think they're going away um and that's something as seos we just need to accept you've got to pay attention to it right yeah 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 so when people complain about featured snippets and discuss it with seos i can understand that but my view is it's not going to change this is the environment we now have to operate in how do we make the most out of it yeah, um, yeah and i do think it's genuine it's genuinely better in most cases for the for the user yeah funnily enough i had an anecdote from my wife literally yesterday because i was talking about the topics for this show and all that kind of stuff i was like oh we're going to talk about these things have you noticed that she was like oh yeah that blue highlight big text so patronizing i was like Oh, okay. <laughs> That's an interesting way of looking at it because like, we think of it so obviously in our SEO brains. We're so like in that mode. I'm keeping an eye on like, oh, something ever so slightly changed on the SERP. Quick, someone tell Barry Schwartz. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but coming from my wife who doesn't work in SEO, she's a nurse, so she has no real kind of context apart from you know what she hears me talking about essentially. And she was just like irritated by it straight away. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Probably has no idea they used to be highlighting in yellow. I think a lot of users probably <clears throat> don't particularly pay attention to the minute details. Does it matter whether it's yellow or blue or bold or highlighted or not highlighted? As long as it's getting the right information. But I think there is elements there of it making it super duper obvious. Like, I think that makes it very obvious that who you are, your defining characteristic is apparently digital marketing director at Canada. 
And then once you click through, it also highlights on the post itself. So if I click through to Clockwork Talent here, you get the little highlighted section here that is actually where it got the information from. I think that's useful. I think it's handy to have that pulled out straight away. There's elements of accessibility there as well, being able to make it more visually accessible for people and things like that. I'd be interested to see if there's any sort of mashup of blue and yellow and bold or whatever they want to do, but this doesn't seem to be a test anymore. This seems to be a proper rollout of blue big text for featured snippets. Now, from my experience, I can't find a feature snippet that doesn't tend to do this. If it has that definitive answer, then it pretty much universally for me is coming out with the blue highlights and the big text. So going back to the the point you said about maybe some users kind of find it patronizing being <laughs> spoon fed that answer. I don't think there's a a user experience cost particularly to for Google to do this because if you don't like the featured snippets, the link is still there for you to click through yeah. and kind of explore the search result as you did previously. Whereas if you're in the chunk of people that maybe find that kind of information helpful, because it's like you say more accessible, certainly yeah. I know when I'm doing Google searches, generally my goal is very time orientated. I want to spend the minimum amount of time and energy just to find out the thing that I need to know. So that kind of serves my purpose there. Mm. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, yeah. Again, from an SEO point of view, why I love feature snippets is we don't have to have that battle of we're position five, we're position four, we're number two, and then that big fight for number one. If you get your content right, you do the research, you answer the questions succinctly. You know, we've had fairly small websites beating very big websites just by leapfrogging them by getting that featured snippet. And, you know, featured snippets, especially when we um, as, a, as an agency are working with clients where they are competing in areas where they're punching above their weight. Yeah. And we look and we say, well, actually, I don't, you know, it's not realistic that we rank for these things because these sites have got years of head start, huge SEO budgets, big teams. A featured snippet strategy is my go-to there. Mm. So apart from, yes, um, especially the big sites complaining it might be taking <laughs> away some clicks, is a huge opportunity for um, small sites to work on um, those lower search volume, more specific questions and actually just leapfrog. Start punching above your weight, right? Yeah. 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 And when you get that traffic as well, that's the opportunity then to start acquiring, acquiring links naturally because it's those kind of bits of information that we found in experience that people then will share on forums and such. And then eventually they'll migrate into people researching it, finding <laughs> that answer, using it in a blog post. So it's the yeah. perfect foundation, good um, kind of strand to a, to a strategy. Yeah, I think that ties back around to what we were talking about with the Trendwatch stuff as well, right? Seeing something suddenly pop up as a feature snippet that you've not noticed before or something spike in a trend and using tools like also asked or anything else to really analyze the SERPs and have a look at what is popping up and what is kind of coming through for that search term can be the, the difference maker. Like you said, that is kind of a, I, what happens with a lot of early content strategy stuff. You come in with, yeah, we're going to try and punch above our weight, as I said, try and fight off the big competitors in this space. And now we're trying to, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take up some little lower volume search terms. We'll take up some zero volume keywords. We'll answer very specific questions that users might have. And that allows you to compete in that way. That's That can be a huge difference maker in those early days of a site just getting your feet on the ground and getting started and, and starting things rolling out. I think that's been a big part of 
you know, what we have as part of our content strategy, right, Mark? We, we mentioned the new site we've been building recently here at Canda. That's been a big factor in our content strategy is targeting those zero volume terms and making sure we're going after things we can rank pretty easily with and get clicks from compared to like, yeah, let's go straight for a big 10,000 word header term. Like go for big search volume stuff, maybe down the line if you really want to, but there's also search intent behind that, right? There's there's potential for conversions there. If you've got your UX and you've got all of your customer journey stuff really mapped out really well, getting people to a page can be all the difference in a sale or not. And somebody clicking through on a featured snippet can be the difference between a massive sale and absolutely nothing. So I think it's something a lot of people maybe, like you said, kind of think of just of the negatives or like, oh, people won't click through. Google's just, it's just hosting the content on the SERP. There's no point. Why would why would somebody bother clicking through? But people do and enough people do that it can make a difference. And I know certainly with clients I've worked with, like it can be a matter of like two or three clicks and like, oh yeah, one conversion is worth like hundreds of thousands of pounds. One project, one sale is worth massive amounts you've got these big high ticket projects and things like that that can make all the difference just a couple of clicks and a couple of conversions can be all the difference cool i think we've pretty much covered all of that <laughs> shall we do some questions yes let's move over to the questions so one came in here let's flash this up on the screen what do you guys think about marie haynes opinion on disavowing links seems like she represents a pretty opposite opinion on disavowing I'll hand over to you, Mark. You've got a bit of a uh, bit more information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so huge, huge respect for Marie Haynes. Listen Absolutely. to her podcast. I've chatted with her about SEO over many, many years. <laughs> and I was, I was a little bit surprised by that question because I thought, I'm pretty sure Marie Haynes is similar in my thinking. Mm. So unless um, her opinion has changed in the last 12 months or so, um, I, I was doing some research while while you were speaking live then, on the show uh, jack yeah because that's how i roll <laughs> and i found uh, a post on marie haynes consulting website entitled toxic link links here's why you can often ignore them ah, um, so okay. i just want to read you an excerpt from this because sure. I, I think it sums up um marie's opinion and weirdly enough um unquoted in her oh, in yeah. our actual post so um this is just, what just a bit of narcissism I, for you then okay. i knew <laughs> i knew in the back of my mind we had discussed it publicly before uh so this is what uh, marie has to say uh and this is from march 2022 so pretty much bang on a year ago she says, um, a lot has changed since Google first gave us the disavow links tool in 2012. Back then, we found that more unnatural links we could find and disavow, the better our chances of seeing improvement. Mm. Creating the blacklist saved us many hours of link auditing time as we were able to easily find and disavow links from domains that we knew to be spammy. However, things have changed over the years. <clears throat> then she goes on to on to say, excuse me, we still do recommend disavow work for some websites, but after years of disavowing links for many sites, we feel that most do not need to disavow. For those sites that do benefit from disavow work, the types of links we need to disavow are ones that are not in our disavow blacklist. Interesting. And she's right, done a, yeah. qu a quote here from John Mueller from a <laughs> excuse me discussion I was having about. Um, Basically, if a tool can detect a link is toxic, would Google not also be able to... Pretty much what and, we said earlier. Yeah, 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 and John Mueller kind of just rolled up on Twitter and was like, <laughs> yeah, <he> does. <laughs> and then zoomed off. Um, but, you know, I think, I think this is a good point because in terms of 
coverage of the visible web, even some of the largest tools, when it comes to this level of link analysis, I don't think, even if they were at the same, even if they had the same technological capability as Google, it's no guarantee that they're, they're looking at it the same way. Um, so it, it's a very, you know, I've talked about these tools before and I have used them and I would still use them on if, if we're, if we're doing a penalty recovery because of links, I would still use these kind of tools to build me a short list of where I need to, yeah. to look at. There are, there are still use cases where it's relevant, right? If you're, if you know, say for example, I gave the example earlier of working in an agency where I know the previous either freelancer or agency, whoever it was, had done some of that stuff and been disavowing. It's kind of the opposite of that. If you know you're coming into a kind of, like you said, kind of like a recovery element of like, hey, we've worked with an agency before, they completely ruined our backlink profile, can you help us? That's when you kind of think like, well, the obvious is to look at the disavow list, see what's going on, analyze those backlinks, have a look at it in a bit more detail. There are still definitely cases and still definitely uses for it. But I think the kind of like scatter and hope for the best kind of approach that a lot of people have to disavowing is definitely not the right approach. And as you said, from from what I can see, Dr. Marie Haynes kind of agrees with us. And yeah, huge respect to Dr. Marie. She's amazing. Fantastic podcast as well. If you're not already already listening to uh, Marie's podcast is another fantastic SEO podcast. Cool. Well, that about wraps us up for the first ever episode of Sistrix with Kanda. Thank you if you have joined us in the live chat. We've seen a few comments and a few things going on. We will be hanging around in the live chat. I know a couple of the guys from Sistrix will be in there to answer your questions as well. So please do stay, hang around, have a chat. Treat it as a little bit of a hangout, essentially, if you have any sort of like little networking chats and questions and things like that. We will be around to answer a few questions for the next few minutes. If you want to listen to this in audio form, we are available on Search with Candy. You can find us on all your usual podcast services, wherever you listen to podcasts, we will be there. And if you are listening to this in the audio version, you can come and join us. This will be a live monthly thing on Systrix's YouTube channel. The link for the video will be in the audio description and the link for the audio will be in the video description as well. So either way, you can either see our faces and hear our voices or just hear our voices if you don't want to see our faces. <laughs> We're covered either way. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next month with another edition of Sistrix of Canada. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you then.